Welcome to IVP's Hyper Growth Podcast. In this series, we talk with CEOs of the fastest growing companies and discuss the ins and outs of company building in the hyper growth environment. If you like what you hear, consider following us on SoundCloud or subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome everyone. I'm Tom Lavero, an investor at IVP. On today's podcast, we are joined by Brian Armstrong, co-founder and CEO of Coinbase. Brian, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. And thanks for hosting us in your new headquarters. Brian is a graduate of Rice University and started his professional career as a developer and a consultant before joining Airbnb in 2011. That was a pretty smart move. He left Airbnb, though, to found Coinbase in 2012. Coinbase has played a major part in mainstream awareness and adoption of cryptocurrency. Since its founding, Coinbase has grown to over 700 employees, has traded more than $220 billion in assets by over 30 million customers across more than 100 countries. Brian has led the company through over $525 million in funding from investors such as Andreessen Horowitz, Tiger Global, USV, DFJ, and of course, IVP. IVP had the privilege of leading Coinbase's Series D in August of 2017, and I'm an observer on Coinbase's board. On today's episode, Brian and I will be discussing primarily three things. First, what it means to be a mission-driven company. Second, building Coinbase's culture. And third, managing true hyper-growth. Thank you again, Brian. Thank you, Tom. So let's start off on a topic I know is really important to you, Coinbase's mission. You've really begun to open up publicly about what Coinbase's mission is. Uh, there's been some video out there on the internet of that. What is Coinbase's mission today? And if you could tell us where we are in that journey for where you want the company to be in the long run. Well, our mission as a company is to create an open financial system for the world. And for us, what that means is uh, an open financial system is one that's going to create more economic freedom for people and businesses all over the world using cryptocurrency. We feel like that's a secret that Coinbase is founded on, is this idea that cryptocurrency got invented, you know, smartphones are proliferating all over the world, even to the poorest people. And that is a rare moment in history to actually inject economic freedom into these countries all over the world. Sometimes people aren't familiar with that term, economic freedom. And what I tell them is that this is a, a, a measurement that a lot of different organizations, they try to measure every different country out there. And they look at things like, you know, are property rights enforced? How much corruption is there? Is it really easy to start a business or work at the business that you want to work at? A bunch of different metrics like that. So people think of it as um, a way, it's a measurement of how quickly the economy is growing and all these things, but it actually has positive correlations with all kinds of things you may not expect, like people's self-reported happiness or less war, less corruption, higher you know, literacy and things like that. So economic freedom is this really powerful idea and our mission as a company is to take cryptocurrency and use that to build an open financial system for the world. That's a big mission and companies need big missions, but where are we today and how do you get from where we are to that end state? So I, I agree, this is gonna be you know, 10 plus year journey and Coinbase has been around almost eight years. So I always joke with people, you know, we're going to be a 10-year overnight success. <laughs> I, I tell that to a lot of entrepreneurs, actually. I, I think it's better to have a big, big, ambitious uh, mission. And at the two-year mark, you might be seeing um, a little bit of product market fit. You know, at the five-year mark, you might be like, okay, this thing might actually work. And you're going to start to see an impact on the world at like 10 years. So I think people generally should have much longer timeframes of how they're trying to do important things in their life. So, I mean, but just to answer your question more directly, kind of where are we now? Cryptocurrency, most people are still getting it into, into it today by 
getting interested in investing or speculating or buying a little bit of cryptocurrency. That's kind of the way most people get interested in. They, it's the gateway to cryptocurrency. And as you mentioned in your introduction, we've helped 30 million people get started in crypto and buy a little bit of it. And what we're really doing now as a company, we're shifting from uh, people who have, have a little bit of crypto from investment, and, which is a relatively solo activity you do by yourself, and we're starting to connect our users together into this economic graph. We're giving them more things to actually do with their cryptocurrency as opposed to just holding it as an investment. So you know, I can talk about those at length, but just the high level is you know, we're helping people start to spend cryptocurrency. We're doing that with um, Coinbase Commerce, for instance, and, and we're helping people begin to get borrowing and lending done. For instance, you know, we're launching margin trading on, on Coinbase Pro. We're going to start helping companies raise money with cryptocurrency. And so you can imagine all of these kind of actions in the crypto economy, not just buy, sell, or trading, but borrow, lend, or spending, or even governance things like voting. And um, so there, there really is going to be a whole economy being built here. And we're just in the very early stages of helping that happen as a company. It sounds like we might be at an inflection point where the industry in crypto is moving from speculation to these various utilities that you're, you're talking about. It sounds like you have a, a bunch of them in the hopper today. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of these um, seeds that we planted to try to help the crypto economy grow are starting to really show promise. So, you know, with Coinbase Wallet, for instance, um, you know, we're seeing 80,000, 90,000 monthly active users. Uh, it's growing, you know, 30% month over month. Similar kind of month over month growth figures for Coinbase Commerce. We launched a stablecoin because that was one of the big challenges with cryptocurrency was it, it was too volatile to be used for day-to-day commerce. Volatility is a good thing if you're investing, but not necessarily a bad thing, and not necessarily a good thing if you're trying to just spend it. And do you and the executive team find yourselves looking back to that mission when you're looking at the product roadmap or deciding between A and B? Yeah, th- that's, that's right. So we always have this debate internally, how much should we just be focused on one thing versus trying to tackle all the new opportunities that are out there? That, and, and a lot of it does come back to our mission, like you said. It's, uh, if we're going to create an open financial system for the world, there's going to have to be a lot of pieces of infrastructure there. There's going to have to be thousands of companies built in that space. And so I think we're kind of at the beginning of this industry, and there's going to be so many opportunities. We, we use this framework we call 70-20-10, which basically means 70% of our resources are focused on our core, the thing that we're really, we got started with, it's generating most of our revenue today, uh, which is our you know, main consumer app that retail trading people do, and also Coinbase Pro, which has started to generate a lot of revenue. So that's 70% of our focus and time and resources. 20% are on what we call adjacent bets that are key for us uh, to win. And, and, the 20% is Coinbase Custody, which we've helped a whole bunch of institutional customers get into the crypto space. The 10% are these kind of venture bets, like I mentioned, you know, wallet and commerce and USD coin. It's this portfolio approach where we don't want to be too uh, siloed and just build one thing because the whole industry is not going to bloom that way. But we also don't want to be too distracted. And so we, we try to um, balance that with the 70-20-10. And I think that's like a good, healthy mix for, to, to really fulfill our mission. That's interesting. Is that 70-20-10 something you heard about from other companies? Did you guys invent that uh, in-house? Where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, we didn't invent that. One company I've heard of using that is Google, but I'm sure there's many. So um, we definitely take some things we we see that we like at other companies and try to incorporate that into our strategy. And we also, a couple things we've probably done sort of different. I mean, I don't know of any other company at our size, you know, 7-800 or so that has 
six products. I think that's kind of a little crazy, but it might be brilliant. We'll, we'll find out in five or 10 years. Well, it's certainly an industry that moves a lot faster than if you were running, say, an accounting SaaS company. Yeah. Uh, having a lot of bets probably makes a lot more sense here. And does it ever come into conflict between, say, that mission and those bets? Do you ever find yourself trying to untangle wanting to do something commercially, but finding that maybe you think it's not exactly aligned with the mission of the company? Yeah, that does happen sometimes. So especially in 2017, where we're going to talk probably about hypergrowth in a minute, but there was so many new assets being created. And a lot of this was during the ICO craze. And some of them honestly were not the highest quality assets. Some of them were outright scams. And there was there was a moment there where our customers were really um, looking to trade some of these assets. And we think a lot about consumer protection. We think a lot about the long term. So we actually decided not to list a lot of these things on our platform that our customers would, would have probably wanted to trade. And honestly, it would have made us a lot of revenue in that short time period. But we decided to play a long-term game there, which I think was more in line with the mission. And if we got, I don't know, a million new customers to sign up and they traded all this, but then they lost their money or something like that, um, that wouldn't be good for us in the long term. And it would potentially create setbacks from a regulatory point of view and all these things. So I think we took a very um, appropriate risk waiting there. Yeah, there's other examples too. I mean, even just like in 2015, crypto went through this cycle where it was kind of in the doldrums for a little bit and a lot of people were disillusioned. And during those moments, we actually made investments in these things which are now starting to work. I mentioned like, you know, uh, commerce and wallet and whatnot, um, because we felt like if we don't help this industry get going, nobody will. And so those were all things where we had to kind of go back to the mission. What are we really doing here? It might be a good chance to turn to the, the concept of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you said long-term thinking is really critical to Coinbase, and I know that is one of the sort of key tenets that you've published in your uh, Coinbase culture doc. Um, can you tell us more about the, co- the culture of Coinbase, um, how you define it, and w- maybe more about this doc that you recently uh, you know, uh, published publicly? Yeah. Well, um, one of the really interesting journeys that I think a lot of founders go through, and I, and I did too, was that uh, when a company is, is a certain size or small enough, you know, let's say less than 150 people, or if you want to use Dunbar's number, um, you can set the culture just sort of organically because you as the founder can kind of have enough touch points with enough people, and just through word of mouth, uh, people kind of understand how to act. You can lead by example. And there, you cross a certain threshold, and um, you can't possibly meet with enough people in the culture or in the company to really set the culture. And so what happens is you start to have cultural drift. You know, there's a certain office in another city or there's a certain leader who, without clear guidelines, it's just they're going to start to operate in a totally different way. And occasionally, you know, <laughs> founders will have this experience where you'll, you'll see something happen in your own company. You're like, oh, man, how could that have happened in my own company, right? So I think what you need to do and what we've done is uh, we took a moment to sort of, all right, let's actually articulate the culture um, and write it down and integrate that repeated a bunch of times, whether that's a blog post, which we put out publicly, or put it in our onboarding, um, you know, mix it into how we promote people and, and things like that. So, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about that culture just briefly, and if any of these you want to double down on, we can, we can certainly do that. I mean, the first one's just about top talent in every seat, because I think um, everything comes back to the people. And we're, we're a group that would rather hire you know, great people, but fewer of them. Um, and so we tend to invest maybe like double what a normal company would in, in finding and developing great talent. Um, second one is about 
playing as a championship team. And that means a few things. I mean, one is that kind of put the team first before the company first, before you know your own team or your own goals. And there's sort of um, an aspect of that. It also means sustained high performance, right? Like a uh, championship team is, is one where um, everybody is really expected to hit a high bar. And of course, you know, everybody has a bad season, if, if I'll torture the sports analogy here, um, periodically. But um, you know, we need to keep raising the bar so that we can go win championships. And it is. And is yeah. there conflict at times between top talent and playing as a team? Well, so one of, the, one of the hiring things that I've started to really look out for now is what I call, it's, it's just humility, right? So there, are, um, top, there is top talent that is all about themselves, <laughs> and there's top talent that make the people around them better. So we try to go for the latter. Do you try and assess that in interviews? Uh, is that you assessing for that? Is that your HR team and the recruiting team early on? Like, how do you actually qualitatively or quantitatively try and figure that out? Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to do it is just to integrate it into the, the interviews and, and, the, and the hiring panels and things like that. So, you know, we might ask people, um, tell me about a time when there was conflict on the team you were on and how did you resolve it? And um, some people will proceed to tell you a story about, well, I can't believe like this person did something and like I had to really set them straight. And, <laughs> you know, you, you basically, and, and then other people will kind of say, there were these different opinions and there was some truth to what they were saying and there was some truth on the other side too and we had to figure out a way to work together and resolve that you know, amicably and here's what I learned from it. That's kind of, hum to me, humility, a lot of it comes down to learning and are you seeking the truth or are you just trying to be right? Um, and holding a grudge you know, <laughs> afterwards if the person you know, didn't agree with you. So um, those are the kinds of questions I ask in interviews and I try to see where people are. One of the things I've noticed spending time with you and the company is you really index quite high on valuing concise, clear communications as yeah. a skill. More so than other, like everybody uses that, pays lip service, communications is great, but you guys really, really mean it. Yeah. I think it would be great if you could share some examples of either the interview process or the presentation process you use uh, when hiring talent uh, to test for that sort of communication skill. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, to me, um, clear communication is something that I personally just value, but I also think it helps the company be a lot more effective because, um, you know, if, if somebody could have all the best ideas in the world, but if, if um, they can't get them integrated into the solution with the people around them, it's sort of discounted the value of that. And, you know, I don't want to over-rotate on it. Like, there are a, a number of people at Coinbase that are individual contributors and um, communication is still pretty important there, but it's not, I just want to be clear, it doesn't mean you, know, you need to have great public speaking skills to be a back-end engineer here or something like that. But in fact, we have a lot of people that are, they're, they're really quirky and you know, um, they're just very unique and they're, they're terrified of public speaking. I don't really care about any of that, but if you can, it could be in writing or it could be in one-on-one -on -one or whatever. Um, if, you, if you can concisely and clearly communicate your ideas and also, by the way, listen, listening is a huge part of communication, then you'll just be much more effective. So I don't know, some of the things I ask people in interviews are like, uh, what's a topic you know a lot about and can you teach me the basics of it in two minutes? You know, And some people really can't do it in two minutes. They, they, they have a poor sense of time. Other people can sort of um, scope, you know, appropriately scope at what depth can I explain this in a reasonable amount of time and they'll do that. We also often will have um, candidates present to a hiring panel 
Um, and again, we're not looking to see like, are you the world's best public speaker? We're looking to see, in a, and we sort of artificially constrain the time as well. We might say, give somebody like three topics to talk about in 20 minutes, which would be a little bit of a stretch, but we wanna see, can they keep it under time? Um, can they uh, appropriately scoped back to what they're saying and adjust? And so um, that's one of the things we look for, for sure. It's kind of your version of a brain teaser. Yes, that's right. Although I think brain teasers have kind of fallen out of fashion. Um, so yes, but it's something like that. Um, so another really unique thing about Coinbase's culture is you're kind of a startup, you're kind of a fintech company, you're kind of a crypto company. Um, you're this marriage of a bunch of different things. And uh, traditionally people in startup culture, crypto culture, and financial services are probably pretty different if you had to stereotype them. Yeah. How do you think about marrying these very distinct cultures under one roof? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say this is something I definitely underestimated. You know, a while back somebody was asking me, many years ago they asked me this, like, how are we gonna get people from tech and finance to work together? And I was, I was like, what do you mean? It's just different people come together on teams all the time. What's, what's the challenge? And, um, it turned out to be a much bigger challenge than I than I realized. Um, you know, tech has this uh, kind of culture of disruptive innovation, right? And it, it's a little bit like um, let's um, what you know, rules are out there. And there's a box for everything, and like we're going to make a new box. You know, we're gonna we're gonna break um, the mold of what's come before us, and that's created a ton of innovation. Sometimes people in financial services are um, it's more of a culture like you know, legal makes the final decision as opposed to say the product team or something like that. And so uh, we really have had to blend these cultures in a way that um, I didn't really anticipate how difficult it would be. Um, you know, the, what I say about Coinbase is that we do hire people from both. Um, heterogeneous teams are stronger and I, I do think it's gonna be key to our success to be um, have both tech and, and financial services people here. Um, we, I would say we lean tech, you know. I. I think that um, we welcome people from financial services and we also say, this is gonna be probably a very different culture than you've been in before. Um, to me, I lean tech just because partially that's what the realm I grew up in, but also I think tech companies are driving the most innovation and growth in the world right now and I'd, um, I'd rather be a tech company than a finance company if I had to choose, but really we are something new, a crypto company. Another really interesting piece of, of culture and managing culture here is you know, unlike that accounting SaaS company, Bitcoin can be at 3,000, it can be at 20,000, it can be back at 10,000, maybe all in the same day. Um, and I imagine that can have an effect on employee morale. So how do you manage that? And, and do you see effects in employee morale based on these exogenous factors like the price of Ethereum or Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So. You know, sometimes I tell people it's a little bit like if we were already a public company and everyone's looking at the share price every day, except it's super volatile. Um, so there is this thing that you know I have to share with people. My my intuition as an entrepreneur, I'm actually very comfortable in with ambiguity. You know, and um, I have to remind myself continuously that that's not necessarily the default state of a lot of people. You know, I still remember Coinbase when it was a couple of us sitting in a room and we had no idea if we were gonna you know, figure out how to make enough money to get to our Series B or whatever. And so now everything that happens to me is kind of like, it's kind of like we're on easy street, you know? <laughs> but um, by comparison to what most people have experienced, it's insane, chaotic, uncertainty, 
um, these ups and downs. And so there is a part of my job that's really going in front of the company. You know, we do this at our Q&A that we host every week. We do a quarterly all hands. Um, and just creating a little bit of surety in the organization. That's like, um, this crypto has gone through a cycle like this five times now, right? Is it going to repeat exactly the same time, the same way as before? You know, who knows? Probably not. But um, we're going to be fine. We've seen these ups and downs. And as long as we, you know, we're starting to diversify our revenue streams, um, manage our cash very um, deliberately about how we grow and scale this business, um, those are the kind of things that are going to ensure we're here for the long term. And um, being that voice of experience, I think, has been an important role for me. So I want to turn now to the concept of hypergrowth and managing hypergrowth. Um, and Coinbase, you know, probably better an example than just about anything in, in financial services, has grown a lot since IVP first got involved in 2017 as the market was beginning to grow up. And I think just last year alone, you grew your headcount about 3x. Um, and that's undeniably a really exciting position to be in and very enviable, but a lot's going to break. Um, and you're going to learn a lot of lessons when that happens. So can you tell us a little bit about what broke, what you would do differently, some of the key lessons you can share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it might sound exciting to grow 3x. I can tell you it was uh, not <laughs> always a pleasant experience. You know, Sometimes people... Um, told us in the past, they said 2x is probably around the most you'd want to, like doubling headcount of a company, uh, you know, unless you're like a small team. You can, you can go 10 to 30, I think, in a year or something like that. But, you know, if you're at um, 200 and you go to 600 in a year, a lot of things are going to break. And so, uh, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I, I would probably have scaled a little bit slower, actually. I think it would have been easier to do it, do it that way. But you, you don't always have a choice. You know, I mean, the market in 2017, we, are, we grew about 40x in terms of revenue. So growing 3x of headcount was, was still feeling like we were desperately underwater. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, a, a number of things did break during that period. So one was just around um, communication. So when we were 150 people, um, everybody knew what everybody else was doing. You know, we knew when some product was launching. Past, at 500 people or 600, um, sometimes employees would learn about something for the first time that was happening at Coinbase by reading a press article, and that didn't feel good. Um, and so we had to learn how to cascade communications down through the org, um, through through managers. And you know, if you probably many of you have played that uh, that game telephone, right, where like you tell you sell your friend something, and they tell them, and it comes out totally different even after like two or three or four you know hops. And so uh, just developing these communication playbooks, like all right, let's create a one-pager with the talking points that we're all aligned on, and then Brian's going to say the same thing that the exec team does and the, and the managers under them and so on, and we're going to put it in, you know, different... I like saying things over and over again in different channels, you know, so um, say, send one an email in writing. Say it, say it verbally at the, at the AMA that week. Um, post it publicly in an external blog post, you know, so those kind of repetition and all speaking from the same playbook or the same um, page really start to help. The second thing that broke down was actually uh, decision making. So at a smaller size, you know, you as the CEO or maybe a couple other people can be the decision makers and just unblock things. And at a larger size, people didn't know who, who is the decider on this? Um, who, needs, who needs to be giving input on this? And there was a lot of consternation just about um, how is this, I, I got brought in at the last minute and this decision was already made and nobody asked my opinion and who do I even go to and somebody vetoed my thing. and. So we actually rolled out this decision-making framework, which I did a blog post on as well, 
Um, we've modified it since then slightly, but we use a decision-making framework called Rapid, um, which has is, is been really helpful. And then uh, just the last thing I'd say that broke when we grew that quickly was, um, you know, we hired in an entirely new leadership team and um, just getting the level of uh, cohesion and trust to be high on that team with a bunch of brand new people, that, that takes time and there's no shortcut for that. Um, if teams have got to go through some challenges together and they've got to develop a personal relationship with each other and get to know each other. Um, and so those are all things that we worked on. On the topic of getting management teams to gel, this is something we see a lot. At our stage, we're by definition investing companies that are growing quickly and growing their management teams quickly. And you're bringing a bunch of very talented people who are very experienced, very sure of themselves into the room at the same time. Are there really specific tactical things you've done to get those teams, those executives, to spend time together get on the, and get on the same page? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a few that have worked well for me. So one is uh, doing every quarter or two an exec team offsite. And um, that the goal of that is to get people to you know go for a walk, have dinner with each other, get into some of the personal get to know you stuff. Um, but it's also to practice how you want to operate uh, together and sort of come up with a common language for how we're going to operate. So that, you know, every company has this language and there's some that we've been starting to use, um, using some different books that are out there, like um, there's, you know, Conscious Leadership and um, The Advantage and um, there's a number of books that do this kind of thing. Conscious Business is another one. Um, so the offsite, I think, is a really good tool. Another one is that we've used an exec coach for a while, uh, different ones over, over time. And one of these started out as just being my coach, uh, CEO coach, and um, but it, he, he turned out to be very useful in terms of anytime there was like interpersonal conflict or people just couldn't get past, uh, fig- figure out how to work together on something, um, mediating those sort of things. And you know, it was all, I, ca- I jokingly called it like uh, couples therapy, you know, <laughs> and that was a big thing that helped. And then the last thing I'd say is, um, you know, you mentioned this idea of people coming in and. The executives who've run big teams and they've done a lot of different companies, they're, these are very brilliant, confident people, um, you know, who have sort of survived the hunger games of business, if you will, <laughs> to get to the other level. And not all business cultures are the same, you know, especially like in, um, in finance and these places, there's some kind of cutthroat stuff out there, right? And so just uh, sensitizing people to this is a different kind of environment that I want everybody to work in. Uh, we are going to be very collaborative um, and really just Again, interviewing for humility, like looking for, are these people committed to being right or are they uh, curious about what they could learn in this situation and just want to find the truth? Um, So those are the things that have helped for us. Brian, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us today on the IVP Hypergrowth Podcast. Uh, And for anyone interested in learning more about Coinbase, please visit coinbase.com or download the Coinbase app from your preferred mobile app marketplace. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. You can learn more about us on IVP.com or join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting at IVP.